Treating seed this spring? AGI Storm FX brings you the ultimate innovation in seed treating for your modern-day farming operation, offering you speed, accuracy, and flexibility. With a simplified design, gentle handling, and precise performance, you can choose to pre-treat or treat your seed just in time. This season, choose the AGI Storm FX Seed Treater to keep you on schedule and ahead of the curve. Visit aggrowth.com for more information or to find your nearest dealer. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet hope dealer and anti-average advocate, Sarah Bronenkamp. Sarah helps people who want to blaze epic trails and who say no to mediocre through intensive coaching programs. Sarah serves professionals who are being called to show up in much bigger ways. Leaders who want to redefine the rhythm of their leadership. Sarah helps her clients move from merely thinking about making an epic impact and maybe tinkering around a bit to actually doing it. You are all about to be so inspired by this amazing woman. Before we get to Sarah's interview, I wanted to let you know that our listener survey is now live and I would love to hear from you. So if you scroll down on your podcast app to the show notes, you will see the link to our listener survey. This survey has been developed to learn more about you and what you want to hear from us here at the Rural Woman Podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took a few minutes out of your day to leave your feedback. Again, scroll down on your show notes and click on that link. Or if you head on over to wildrosefarmer.com, you can find the post for giving us your feedback. While you're over there on wildrosefarmer.com, be sure to check out more information about becoming a patron of the Rural Woman Podcast through Patreon. Your financial support can start as low as $1 a month with perks starting at Tier 5, which include ad-free listening, exclusive Patreon content, as well as that Tier 5 gets your name entered into a quarterly hat draw, which we just recently did. So congratulations again to our winners, Katrina and Marina. I hope you enjoy your new spiffy Rural Woman podcast hat. I can't tell you how thankful and grateful I am each and every month to receive your support of the show, which has been able to help me expand my team here at the Rural Woman podcast and continue to bring you this great content through your earbuds each and every week. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's interview with Sarah. Hello, Sarah, and welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast. I am so, so excited to get to know you better and to share your story with my audience today. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. What a beautiful day that I get to have with you. I feel the exact same here. I feel the exact same. So 
for my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, Sarah, give us your rural woman background. I love this question because it's so hard. You know, you're just starting out and you're like, what is so important about me for your listeners? And I'm, you know, it's just so, so hard, but here's what I'll come up with. I am somebody who believes in anti-average, believe that you were born to come here to do some really big work really big service. And so I love to start there. I'm a champion for anti-average. I'm a champion for the dark horse coming out and just surprising us and changing the world because of that impact. I formally am a coach. I coach leadership and communication I am a consultant where I get to work with all sorts of wonderful organizations that need strategic planning support or that want help with their communication. And I'm a mama. I have two beautiful kids. I'm a horse crazy girl from day one. And I was the executive of a national Cata Women's Association, yet I've never owned a single heifer, steer, bull, calf, any kind of bovine. I think that's kind of cool. That is very cool. And something that's probably very unique for that role. (laughs) Yes, I think so. So right now I want to focus on the quote crazy horse girl in you. Tell us, you know, your upbringing around around horses. I think... Like many horse crazy girls, I have always been attracted to horses. There's just been this inexplicable magnetism that draws me near them. And I tell this story all the time that as a kid, I grew up with my mom. Um, My parents got divorced when I was really young. And so I lived primarily with my mom and we didn't have a whole lot. And I just had big horse girl dreams and we'd be driven, driving around in the car. And I would see a horse trailer and I would look at her. I'd say, you know what? Step on it, sister. We got to get up next to that horse trailer because I've got to see what color horse is inside. There was just something about it. Like, I didn't know. I just needed to know. Was it a buckskin? Was it a palomino? Was it a big draft horse with a big booty? Was it a tiny little, you know, black horse? I just, I had to see inside. And so, I don't know. I've just always needed them. And I got my first horse when I was in the fifth grade. He was an old stock horse, buckskin named Buck, of course, because I mean, he's a buckskin, right? And from that moment, I've just always had horses close to me, whether they were mine or borrowed or, you know, whatever it took, horses have just been there. I love that. And such a connection that you have with them from such a young age. What kind of lessons do you think you've learned from your love of horses and being around horses from such a young age? I think of the lead mare first and foremost when I think of those lessons. And I love thinking of the lead mare because she is all about the present, right? She doesn't worry about tomorrow. She's not concerned about what happened yesterday. She's worried about right now, and am I safe or am I not safe? Is my herd safe or is there something that's coming down the mountainside that is going to threaten us? And when there is a threat, when there's something that needs her attention, she jumps into action. For sake of 
safety, right? For the sake of the rest of that dang team. And so I think that that's one of the big lessons is lead mare. She's always looking, always watching. She might not always be acting, right? But when she needs to move into action or you ask her to move, then boy, God, you better watch out. Look out, get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, sometimes with pinned, pinned ears and teeth bared, but it's never in, you know, like I want to be a jerk. She's doing it because she wants you to like move. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's so great. Tell us more about your position in the national cattle realm without having owned cattle before. How did that opportunity come about and how how did you find yourself there? <laughs> oh, yeah, if I would have asked myself as a, you know, young woman if that would have been a career path, I would have laughed at you. And so it looked a little bit like this. I lived in Arizona at the time and I was living corporate Sarah life. I was in leadership development in the financial world. I had a team. I loved leadership development in this space. And then I met my husband and he was like, you know what? I think Arizona is terrible. It's hot here. And I would like to move. And I said, oh, cool. I'll, wherever we need to go, let's go. And he wanted to go to Colorado where his family was. And so when I started looking for a position there, I thought it would be in the financial world, in leadership development, because that's always what I had done. But I always had this idea, though, that I wouldn't do anything mediocre. Remember that kind of anti-average thing that I started with. And so when I started looking for a job here in Colorado, there were all these little tiny baby financial institutions that were hiring. And I kind of scoffed at them because I had been working at these big institutions doing, you know, big epic stuff. And I wasn't going to, you know, lower myself. And that sounds terrible saying that, but that's how I looked at it at the time. I wasn't going to do that. And so I started looking for other opportunities and I found a job on Craigslist of all places, which is a wild place to find a job. It's not your traditional like LinkedIn or something like that, you know, really odd place. But I saw a job posting for the American National Cattle Women and they were looking for a program director who would do leadership development for their national beef ambassador program. And it was a program designed to engage college age students who were super passionate about beef with consumers. And I read the job description and all I really saw was leadership development, college kids and beef. And I was like, well, that's weird. Okay. Interesting because beef, cattle people, there's horses involved, I bet. And so I got really excited and I was like, ah, this is an opportunity maybe for me to get closer to the horses and not have to have corporate Sarah and then, you know, horse Sarah, because I didn't ever see those two worlds really coming together much. And so, and then of course I thought, well, I love beef. I like to eat it. And so why not? I'll go check it out. And so long story short, I got hired as the beef ambassador coordinator. And I also ran a checkoff funded program called the National Beef Speakers Bureau that engaged cattle women to go and talk with consumers. And doing that after about six, nine months-ish, the cattle women came to me and they said, hey, <laughs> this is cool. You're, you're doing great at this. What do you think about being our executive director? And I was stunned. I never saw again, like that would be my career path. I thought there would be a whole line of fifth generation women waiting right, for that role. 
because that's who I was serving, right? The membership organization. And so from all across the country, you know, I had all these beautiful stories, this history, this legacy of awesomeness. I'm like, well, where are these people? But they said they wanted something different. They, they, they proved that through the request. And so I'm like, well, if you trust me, then I guess I can do it, right? You have somebody that can teach me this stuff I don't know. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, they trusted me. Thank God. No kidding. Well, and that story is just incredible in itself. And the fact that they were looking for something different, they were looking for something that hadn't happened like this before, having basically a consumer be an executive director promoting beef to other consumers. And I think, you know, that's the secret sauce in a lot of these positions and in a lot of these initiatives. I myself am a city person turned farmer. And I always kind of chuckle to myself and think I have that advantage because I know what the consumers don't know because I was the consumer who didn't know. So in this position, what were some of the things that maybe you brought forth to the rest of the team that they didn't know that you didn't know. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> the, the, the thing that comes to mind is that I was able to be like the person that could be the idiot, honestly. <laughs> like, like, what are you talking about? And so like ignorance is bliss. Like I was the ignorant moron that walked into the room, like, tell me more. And so I could just be the real curious person and ask questions that, you know, opened up some really cool dialogue, you know, and things that maybe others wouldn't have had the audacity to ask, right? Because they might've been judged or who knows what. And so I think that I could make fun of myself in a lot of ways, like, I don't know anything. And so I don't have a lot of feelings to be hurt. I'm kind of like a clean slate. And so let's just dive in. So I was kind of the safe person to open up dialogues that, maybe they wouldn't have been willing to otherwise. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, ignorance is bliss. And, you know, I I think back of my time and trying to remember that, you know, asking these questions and being curious doesn't mean that you're not intelligent, that you don't know anything or that you're stupid. It just means that you are trying to learn something that wasn't taught to you, that you weren't born and raised in. And I think knowing that is a powerful tool to open conversation and to have dialogue between consumer and farmers or ranchers and also amongst each other, because we here, we, we are a grain farm. So things that happen on a hog operation or with chickens or things like that in larger scales, that's not my expertise. That's not what we know. So we might be the ignorant one asking the question of a different farmer. And that has to be okay. That has to be welcomed, these conversations, because I think that's how we learn and grow ourselves. Right. I believe that curiosity is one of the best antidotes to the challenges that we're facing right now, right? To this challenge of judgment, this challenge of, like, well, I just don't know. Or that I wasn't raised in this scenario. So how could you expect me you know, to know? And so curiosity is the thing. And I think that that's kind of going back to your prior question about the horses and what I've learned from the horses. 
that's one of the number one things, right? You just think of the horse. What is their job to be safe, right? Their ears are always, you know, looking. Are they pricked forward? Are they pricked to the side? They're always sensing, wondering, hey, what's the situation? What do I know? What's going on? Right. And if we could just apply that to our you know, conversations with consumers, our conversations with our fellow producers, whatever, like, how cool would that be? Right. <laughs> In the <laughs> ideal world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So now, what is your job? What do you do now? What is your title? What is your role? I'm a hope dealer at the end of the day. <laughs> and I, I bring hope to the idea that that big idea that you have been toying with in your mind is something that you can actually do. And so I coach people and I call myself a leadership coach because whether you are like a leader formally in your business or in a corporation where you work, like I think that like, you're always leading yourself. You're leading your families. You're leading your communities, right? And so I help people remember that, gosh, they've got massive strengths that again, are meant to serve people, right? That you've got values. Cool. Let's, let's go get aligned with others that have those same values, right? And that when we have those connections around shared values, that's when we can really go and do some cool stuff, right? I help people find ways to connect their passion to making money. So again, people decide, well, I have to have my corporate life and then I have my passions and my side hustles and the stuff that I really like. So, well, I think that sucks. I was working with one of my team members the other day and we were looking at holistically all of the clients that I coached and some of the outcomes. And I think we're probably at 75% of the clients I coach quit their jobs and start the business that they have been toying with. And so that's one side. And then the other side is the consulting and speaking and primarily in agriculture. And so I mentioned strategic planning. And so I just finished a strategic plan with the Colorado Corn Administrative Committee. And that was really beautiful because it got me working in my home state, which I haven't done very much of. I'm always going someplace else. And I'd made a, a, an intentional goal to, to work more at home. So I loved that project. That is so great. And like you said, to be able to have your passion and something that you love be your job and be that thing that makes you money. I think that's the dream, isn't it? That's the goal. And I think especially for people in agriculture. Right. I, I think that agriculturalists are such beautiful entrepreneur stories. Mm-hmm. Right? We all want that freedom, time freedom, right? the freedom to build our businesses however we want, you know, to build these lifestyles that are you know, epic. <laughs> Such a wonderful model. For sure. So, Sarah, what inspired you to start this business and to start sharing your own stories and your own leadership within the agriculture community? I think it was just what I was born to do, but I think that there was a person, honestly, that inspired me to start doing it in my own way. And it was uh, through working with a coach. And she's actually one of my BFFs. We do a lot of work together. Her name is Cami Gildner, but she was the one that reminded me and it got, showed me that I could. <laughs> it's like I didn't have to, because I was, I loved working for the cattle women. It was fantastic. But I was traveling a ton to Washington, D.C. to work in policy. And I had two small babies. I hated that. I don't like Washington. I don't want to go into policy. I think all of that. I'm, I'm so thankful for the people that want to do that kind of work because, oh, not me. 
So I was, I was making all these choices. I had limited vacation, right? But I want to go and travel. I'm an adventurer. I want to go and do and see and like, ah, and I just felt constrained. Right? And so Cammy was like, Hey, like, hello, you can do all of this cool stuff. And you're a born coach. It's what you've been doing. Sometimes you did it in the financial world. Now you're doing it in agriculture. It doesn't matter where you want to apply it. Just go out and you know, share that light, that hopefulness with people. So it was a person. Isn't that funny? Like, I think a lot of people listening to this story can probably relate. And we have that one person that saw that light that said, hey, did you know that you could? And all it took was that like thought. I want to flip that. For the people who are listening who don't have that one person, can you be that one person for them right now and tell them what they need to know? That seriously just gave me goosebumps <laughs> to hear you say that. What a great question. <laughs> that's that's the thing is like we could all just go into comfort, go into safety. Like, uh, you know, that's just for the lucky people, you know, just for the gifted ones, not for me kind of dialogue. Or you could just wake up that you know you can swear wake up (laughs) i have a potty mouth (laughs) you can just wake up and like realize that like no you wouldn't have been born with such a shit kind of outlook so could you remember that huh could you remember that you were born with all of this awesomeness at your fingertips go do something so yeah i think it's really that simple right it's really interesting to look at the people who I've been able to connect with through this podcast and the growth that I've been able to see in them as women in agriculture and rural women. There'll be times where I reach out to somebody to ask them to come on the podcast to share their story. And their initial reaction is either, is this sent to the wrong person? Uh, Is this a spam email? I don't have an interesting story to share. All of these things, all of these imposter type syndrome things that happen to these women. And I can say that I definitely, you know, at one point or another felt similar things earlier on in my journey of sharing my life in agriculture. But to see them come through and to see them kind of open up when I start to talk to them about things that they're passionate about, things that they love, um, that's when I get the goosebumps on this end and hearing the change in their voice in sharing their story. So how do we, how do you as a coach and a leader in this industry, how do you help women find that voice to be able to share their stories? Before I answer that, I want to back up because I think it's really interesting what you said that you have people that don't think that their story is very interesting. You are the third person to tell me a variation of that story within the past week. I've had a couple of conversations with meeting planners and you know those that book speakers and different event talent. And we were talking about the difference between men and women. And somebody told me that probably 70% of the women that they ask for speaking say no because of all the reasons that you said, but that a man, you know, and when making a request of the man, like they've never been declined (laughs) and that stunned me. And then the other part though, that there was just such a big percentage of women who are saying no, these opportunities just hurts my heart that we would have so few women who would think enough of themselves in their stories And I was watching the Dolly Parton 
documentary this weekend on Netflix. And if you haven't watched it, I challenge you to, because I think she's a beautiful kind of leader. And she was a reminder to me, because you say, you know, I want to now answer the question, what, what does it take? It takes the model a lot of the times. It takes that memory. And Dolly was sitting there and she was like, I just knew I was born to be seen. I was born to to be a star. I was born to write these songs and to play this music and to connect and tell these stories. It's what I was born to do. I've always known that. And as they were sharing her her story, like the little segments of her, you know, over time from, you know, the, I loved watching the evolution of her style over the years. Right. But you could just see that that was the drumbeat. She just had such belief, right. That man, I have this faith from above, whatever you want to believe, you want to call it, that this is what I'm supposed to do. And she did it with that discipline every day, day. Right. And so I think that takes models like that, that, you know, show us that guide us. So I think that that's part of it. And then, you know, from the other side, the support, the offer, that invitation, I think that what can I do? I can invite women to come and play, you know, in this space of leadership, in this space of sharing their voice. All it takes is one. Right. Well, and that's so true. And I think the important piece there too, is the invitation, the invitation to invite other women to the table and to share their voice and to share their story and to share their expertise. And it's funny that you've had this meeting recently with people who are saying that, you know, about 70% of women say no to this. I had a meeting with a CEO of a company. This was a few months back. And the project that he was working on was building a collection of agricultural experts to share their knowledge with others. And one of the questions he asked me was, why do you think that women don't view themselves as experts in their field? Because he had reached out to other women to invite them to be experts, and they said no. They said that there's people who out there who know more than I do, who do more than I do, who are better at it than I am. And I feel so strongly that Though we may not be perfect in our fields, we may not know everything. We can show up and be experts in our field and show and teach in a way that only that we can. Nobody else is going to be able to share our own experiences and our own stories the way that we can. And there might be, you know, somebody out there that is doing it differently than we are, that we compare ourselves to. But again, like I said, going back to it, you are going to be the only person who shows up the way that you can. And that will be that light for one other person or hundreds of other people. Somebody's going to relate to that story in some way, shape, or form. Absolutely. I can't tell you how awesome it is. Like when I speak, I often have women who will come up afterward to tell me how cool it was for them to hear that I didn't come from agriculture, right? That yet I've gotten to do all these awesome things, right? And I'm like, wow, to know that you did this is so exciting. Like I never saw myself doing more than like working at a feed yard or doing, you know, some kind of whatever that wasn't 
you know, in alignment with what my bigger desire is telling me. And now you just showed me that it's possible. And I'm like, oh my gosh, cannot wait <laughs> to see what you're going to do because you saw that one. And like that representation matters. And I think that this applies in a lot of ways. I think it applies culturally. I think it, you know, you know I could go on and on, but I, I think it's such an important conversation women need to be having in that comparison you brought up. <sighs> so cool. And also too, like that we don't have to be perfect, but nobody really understands what we're doing. We're all making it up as we go along, right? In the messy part, we got to show that too. And I think that especially when you apply it to social media, we are, it's everything so perfect, right? And so practiced and polished in so many ways, right? And so I wish that we could just be more real. And I think that, you know, those that are real, like that's why we like them and we, we want to show up and see them because it feels good. I completely agree especially with showing up and being your imperfect self, however that looks for you and your life. And if you're willing to be vulnerable or not, and you know, everybody's going to do it their own way. And whoever you connect with in their authentic self, then, you know, it's going to be different for everybody and how everybody shows up. So Shop Wild Rose Farmer is an online store specializing in apparel and accessories for the fine farming, ranching, and homesteading community that we are blessed to all be a part of. The shop includes quality graphic t-shirts that I promise are going to be your next favorite shirt. Plus, we can't forget the tank tops to even out those farmer's tans that you're going to get from your new favorite tea. Plus, hats, crewnecks, mugs, and more that you are just going to love. Your purchase from Shop Wild Rose Farmer directly supports the Rural Woman podcast. Head on over to wildrosefarmer.com slash shop to check out the new latest and greatest designs. Sarah, one of your taglines that I loved was change starts with epic conversations. How do we make our conversations as producers epic? We have to listen better. And that's in like the not sexy answer. Like nobody wants to hear that because we all know it, right? We've heard it. It's not the news flash, but rarely do we actually live it. And so I think the change starts with epic conversations. Think of every epic conversation you've ever had. It was always with somebody who you really knew was hearing you, right? And I believe everybody has two unique needs, right? We want to. A, be heard, and B, we want to know we belong, right? And so if I could start off with that hearing and empathizing and like connecting, then we can move to the belonging piece, right? So yeah, it's like basic stuff. Why don't we slow down and listen and really get curious and ask better questions (laughs) instead of diving in like, oh, you must be one of those idiots from the city. You're one of those liberals, aren't you? Like, ah, gosh, dang it. No, I just have questions about how food's produced and I don't know. doesn't make me an idiot, you know? So I I think, man, if we could just truly listen to what's going on and and hear the emotion and connect to it. (laughs) And I just think it's so fascinating how simple that answer is, but yet it is so completely complex for, for people. And I feel like we are guilty. And I, I say we, because I'm included in this is there are times where you're in conversation with somebody and instead of truly listening to them, you're already thinking ahead to what your reaction is going to be and whether that's emotional or you're going to, quote, educate them on whatever it is. 
instead of just listening to what their question or what they're truly saying to you is, that they don't know what they don't know. Just as I don't know about their industry or what they're doing. And if I was curious about what it was, I would ask them a question about it. And I would expect them to listen to my question. So I don't know why it seems to be so difficult to flip that around and to do and give that same respect to a consumer. The respect is is the key, right? I I don't ultimately think that we do respect the consumer. Right. How about that? Right. Well, and that's bold. That's big. And at the end of the day, even as producers, we are consumers. We we go to the grocery store and we choose what we're going to feed ourselves and our families and all of these things. We have a bit of an advantage that we know some of the details that goes behind some of the products that we're buying and that we're choosing. But, you know, for the person who doesn't have the access to the information, whether that's through the internet or through a library or even have access to the food that is produced to feed their family. There are so many layers of obviously privilege that comes with it. And for me, it goes back to that respect and respecting other people for not knowing what they don't know and not assuming the worst of them or assuming that they're an idiot or whatever side they vote on, that kind of thing. So how do we become better listeners? How do we listen to a consumer and what they want instead of feeling like we're being attacked or we don't know their motive? How do we become better listeners? I think everything flows from the inside out and we have to do our internal work first before we think that we're really going to go and change anybody's opinion. And so I think that we have to do a lot of that awareness inside and know that I don't recognize how everybody else's lifestyle is. And you touched on the privilege piece, right? We're really privileged to know how all of the intricacies of this really complex supply chain work. Holy moly. And I don't even pretend to know a lot. I just know a little bit and I just like, it blows my mind, right? But like, and I think about a a young family trying to raise their kids and, you know, make ends meet in this world during the pandemic and all of this stuff. Like we live in a heavy world, a heavy ass world. And to then lay on these expectations that you ought to be an expert in all of this and damn you if you don't, like that's just stupid. And so if we could do that internal work to recognize that I'm just a me, right? And there's all of these different other people out in the world that have all of these other cool, beautiful gifts. And really, I'm just supposed to be here to give love, right? And to serve again and not to be a judge and get rid of my own internal agenda with these questions I'm asking, right? And just set that aside and really just try to see the beauty and, you know, see the opportunity to serve and lead, then that's it. Right. So I don't know how we do that, though. That's like why I go to work every day. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> like, we, we, need to just, we need to love more. How about that? Yeah, I think that's completely fair. And especially after the last two years and, you know, for most people, even more than that, the struggle of not feeling loved and feeling lost and scared, that's really heavy. And I think a lot of people have gone through that for a much longer time than I think most of us have. So, well, and let me tell you, can we talk about that for a second? Because I think that, you know, talking about this love piece and again, turning that internally, and we talk about mental health for farmers and ranchers, 
got a lot of freaking wounds. We have a lot of people that like need some massive love, right? For a variety of reasons. Like, and we've been beat up in agriculture for a long time by consumers, by the government, you know, regulations, whatever, right? The freedoms to operate, like they've been constrained. So we can feel the heaviness that that brings, the financial risks and issues, right? That the families undertake that have chosen this lifestyle, like, holy crap, it is a lot. And so you take all of that, pile on, just like being a human, like trying to like, can just live a life that feels good. Like, that's all just a lot. And so that mental health and getting loving on yourself, doing the things that we do to just like make sure that you know, our spiritual health is strong, our relationships with our you know, people that matter most is strong, that we're taking care of our bodies physically, you know, our communities, all of that is interwoven, don't you think? Absolutely. It's it's a full circle. It's holistic. It's all of these things all wrapped together that we get to wake up every single day and live and experience. And everyone's going to live it and experience it in their own unique way. And, you know, though that can be hard, I think there's beauty in that too. Because I think from the lessons that we learn from these hard times allows us to do better in the future, or at least I hope it allows people to do better in the future. And, you know, even become more curious about how they can do better or how they can serve their community better or how they can invite people into this conversation in a new way. And one thing I wanted to bring up and something that I found of yours a little while ago was a reel that you did on Instagram. And uh, I love, love your social media. I feel like we are best friends from states and provinces apart. But one of the reels that you did, one of the texts on it, it says, when advocates say we just need to educate the other side to change their mind, and yet keep wondering why this approach isn't working. Now, something that I've said on this podcast, and if you followed me on social media for any amount of time, I get a little crusty when uh, we use the word educate, and when we are here to educate people. My thought on that is if somebody wants to be educated, they will seek out to learn. They will ask the questions. They will be curious. They will find answers. Now, if we're here and we're saying that we're going to educate people and this is what we've come here to do, I just feel like there's instantly a wall that goes up between the two parties that are trying to communicate with one another. What can we do as producers, instead of educating a consumer. Education to me is about the power, right? And the, the control, like, and, and it's whose choice, just like you said. Right? And so if it's my choice that you're going to be educated, then I'm in the power position and you really are a hostage. And so we can't ever make true change with hostage kind of behavior. And so what do we do? We change the E word of education to engage because that's really what we're trying to do right it's not my agenda to you know change your mind or to do this thing to you it's like you know we got to remember this is communication this leadership this you know this is a two-way street and so engagement implies this two-way street and we're going to engage in conversation we're going to engage in some dialogue we're going to share some thoughts and if we're doing that that's killer right that's us showing up and trying to be leader so yeah change it to 
engage. I love that. That is so powerful from educate to engage. Everybody write that down and stitch it on a pillow for the entryway like it is. (laughs) Yes. Educate. Poke me in the eyes, please. My good night. (laughs) Want to hear what else really drives me wild? I would love to. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I don't, I, I have to preface this because there are people maybe listening that really love this approach. And so I don't want to be a hater. I want to say this and really hopefully open up some curiosity. I see a lot of trend in the narrative lately that says, hey, we're not the ones that are the problem. These guys are the problem. And so stop looking at us. And to me, that's a real reactive kind of approach. And if I'm a leader, I want to be proactive. I don't want to just be reacting. And I also don't really give a shit what the other side is doing. I, If I really truly believe in what I'm doing and, and all of the practices and I'm leading, all I need to know is that my center is on course and I go, baby. I don't care what the rest of the world says. I stand on that mountaintop and I preach, baby. But I don't I share the, the light and you know, people can hate, they can cast stones, they can do whatever they want. I don't care because right? I know I am so on point. Right. And so this, no, this, we're not the problem. These guys are the problem. Look over there. It just seems so kind of switchy, right? Don't look over here behind the curtains. Look over there. Right. And so I just wish we could be more transparent. I wish we could just say, Hey, you have a problem with me. Cool. Let's talk about if you've got a problem with me, you got a problem with these other things. Cool. Go talk to those folks. But over here, you want to talk about this? I'm game. I'm all ears. Let's talk. I'm a part of the solution. Right. Well, and that's the thing, instead of pointing, what's the saying? You point one finger at somebody and how many fingers are pointing back at you, you know, (laughs) right? how to be part of the solution needs to be what is front and center versus blaming somebody or an organization or a government or a group of people or anything like that. You know, I think if we go back to starting from a place of curiosity and engagement with folks, then there's less of a chance of putting blame on anyone for any of the miscommunication that happens. Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're humans, we're people. And the way that we communicate now with one another, you and I are speaking right now, I can see your face, you can see mine, you can hear my voice, I can hear yours. But for text or, you know, email or social media posts, like there can be such a disconnect from, you know, our intentions versus of how it actually came out. And when we take a step back again, and when we listen to what they're truly asking, maybe, you know, get curious about their question, dig down deeper. Why is it that you feel this way? Has there been an experience in your life that you have seen something that has made you feel this way or whatever it is, right? Get down to the understanding of what these questions are, how we can serve, how we can share our stories in a different way. Because like you said, what's been going on isn't working. There are still media outlets. There are still groups. There are still all of these people who are getting their information from God knows where. And who knows where that source got it from, right? But when we show up and when we share our own stories and our own passions and what we know and what we are an expert in, then like you said, there's no denying it. This is it. 
Like, they're, they're, how can you question that? Hey, it's easy. The blame and shame game has got to stop. Well, and I just think the blame and shame game can go in so many different directions. If we are the producer blaming the consumer because they don't know, that's one thing. But one thing that I've seen and have experienced and feel like I am overly sensitive by is when producers blame other producers and they point fingers within the industry. Girl, tell me, let me tell you, (laughs) that to me is, it's the worst. It's, I would say it's worse than consumers going after farmers. It's farmers going after farmers. It's like the family infighting. What are we doing? We all have the same end game, right? (laughs) All of us. Yeah, we forget that. And then we're like, oh, well, it's the traditional razors against the organics or the grass finish versus the grain and or the this versus the that. And it's like, wow, you wonder why we've got a bigger problem. (laughs) We can't even get our shit together in, in our own houses. Like, what is wrong? And we, again, at the end of the day, we have so much more in common than we have apart. Yet here we all get almighty power, control, whatever. I don't know. Good night. We could probably be here all day talking about that very situation. <laughs> My husband, he laughs at me because I talk about it all the time. Like He comes in and I'm having a conversation with who knows what. He's like, God, do you ever get over this kind of stuff? I'm like, no, like it's all I think about. I think about sustainability all the time and, you know, how it's changing into regenerative and, you know, what's the next iteration going to be? I don't care what we call it because at the end of the day, it's about continuous improvement, right? It's about how do we get better? How do we make sure we don't have hungry babies? Right? How do we make sure that we don't you know, kill the planet? <laughs> how do we make sure that our animals are are honored? Like, these are basic things. Like, how do you not think about this? Yeah. How do you not stay up at night thinking about this? How do you not? <laughs> I'm glad that there are people that are just as passionate about other things. Like I've been working in the water industry a little bit recently, and that's been blowing my mind, you know, and they could do the same thing that farmers and ranchers do where they question the consumers and say, why doesn't anybody care about water structure and how you flush the toilet? Like it works. And when you turn on the tap, you know, it runs like, yeah, why don't we know what? more about that. They're like the the truckers who are hauling our goods right right now with all the trade stuff and the the transportation issues we're having. I think more people are starting to care. It's like, I just wish holistically that we cared more about all of the things that we do, all of the systems, all of the humans that make our world work. Like I think food's just a part of that. And that's what I get excited about. But then I it's that bigger picture. How can we just get more curious and care? Well, I think by having conversations like this, it helps. At least I hope it does, because that's my part in it and that's your part in it. So (laughs) I'm going to cross my fingers. Yeah, we know it's making a difference at some level in my own heart. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sarah, for anyone listening who has thought about sharing their story but has held themselves back because of whatever reason they've told themselves. What advice do you have for them to start and where should they start? I'm going to be maybe a little dark in my answer. I want them to consider who are you to withhold your badassery from the world? Who are you to sit back and just hoard your genius? That's a question you have to sit with if you're not moving into action. Like, who 
who are you? Are you really that person who would forsake this awesomeness that you have? Because I know that like you're better than that, right? And so like maybe you just need to give yourself a little pep talk and remember who you are, right? I love Moana. I have kids. And so we watch a lot of Disney in my house. But if you've never watched Moana, please do it immediately because the whole point of the movie is like, remember who you are, right? You are born to do some of this stuff, right? And so you got to remember that. Who are you to forsake these gifts? And then the next thing is to just start by giving it some kind of a voice. And you've got two options. I call it, you got to articulate it. You can do it to your journal, you know, piece of paper. You can write it on a piece of paper. You can put it in your laptop on a Word document. I don't care what you want to do, but I want you to either write it. Like, here's a part of the message. Here's the stuff that keeps me up at night. Here's the stuff that I can't quit thinking about. Here are the problems that, man, I want to solve. So write it or say it to somebody. You don't have to say it to a stadium filled with people. You just need to maybe say it to a trusted advisor. And it doesn't have to be like your husband. Like I tell you what, like a lot of the stuff that I think about my husband and he looks at me, he's like, Sarah, you've like lost your shit. <laughs> so, like, your spouse isn't always the person that gets your crazy ideas. They just have to love you and support that. And that's thank- I'm thankful for him. Right. So you, you, you choose like, who's one person that I trust that could maybe hold some space for me to hear it. Because once you start to articulate it, you write it, you say it, you start to create some energy right? And that's all we are. Like everything's energy, right? And so you can create like those little molecules or whatever they are. I'm not a science buff. <laughs> like you just start to move that stuff out of your, your mind, out into the world, onto your paper or out into these words. Magic happens. And so you trust that and the rest will reveal itself. I'm going to like end with one of my favorite quotes um, that Steve Harvey of all people shared. I was at a, an event in Florida where I heard him speak and he reminded me, and I think it's even in the Bible somewhere, some kind of a, a scripture, but it says that your gifts will make room for you, right? Your gifts will make room for you. And if you remember that, it's not your job to know how it's all going to work out, like all those steps. Your job is just to remember that you can and have faith that it will. That's amazing. That's a good quote. Way to go, Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey. That's right. <laughs> yes. And I've seen it again and again since then. And God, every time I read it, it's just like a ton of bricks. It hits me. It's like, oh, okay. Quit thinking so hard about it. Yeah. <laughs> just go. <laughs> like, what's the next, the very next step? Just take that one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <sighs> what a great conversation we've had. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> glad you feel that way. Oh, it's been so good. Sarah, my last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a rural leader for you? I'm going to keep it simple and go back to one of the problems I want to solve that I never want to see a hungry baby. And as a rural woman or somebody who represents rural women or supports rural women, I know that that's ultimately that end in mind. We're making sure that we are nourishing this world, our future. And so I start with the babies and then I think about the earth and the animals and like, what is cooler? Like, I just can't think of anything else. So yeah, I don't know. (laughs) That's a great answer. That is a great answer. And I love that answer. It's perfect. Sarah, for the listeners who would like to connect with you and potentially work with you, give us your spiel. Where can they find you? Where can they connect with you online? I love the interwebs and Instagram is where I spend the most time. I dabble poorly in TikTok. I love 
all things yeah online. So find me on social media, Sarah J. Bonenkamp. And I know it's a long name, but just, you know, sound it out. You'll get there. <laughs> I'll help you out and I'll put the links in the show <laughs> notes for you so you can just click on it. So <laughs> thank you again for coming on and sharing your story with us. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for the invitation. And I would love to meet you. I am planning a great Canadian tour. And so I want to bring the the family to Banff, the Stampede, the whole thing. And so like, if that's happening soon, then we've got to make you a stop. Sounds good. I'll, I'll get your room ready. Coffee's on. So. Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> you're speaking my language. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. A special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Caitlin Dubin, the host of the Rural Woman Podcast, and Bev Ross, host of the Joy Farmer Podcast, have teamed up to create Positively Farming Media. Positively Farming Media is a podcast hub that connects and cultivates growth-oriented farm and food storytellers. We host a mastermind mentoring group that fosters connection and collaboration between podcasters so you no longer have to produce your show within a silo. Each month in our member-only online community, new learning modules are released that are designed to increase your show's quality, listenership, and advertising opportunities. When you join today, you'll have access to the current month's modules and our previously released modules so you can start growing your show right away. Learn more and start building connections to fellow podcasters in the food and agriculture space at PositivelyFarmingMedia.com.